All right, so as you know, we are continuing to talk about the cross and the Savior. Uh, I actually did a lesson prior to this one at the 2 p.m. service. I haven't had a chance yet to share it with you, but this is an answer to that. I I kind of brought up some inner feelings, uh, got to the heart of some things, and people were struggling a little bit, and I thought, okay, I need to help them get through that, because sometimes when there's pain, it can turn into trauma. And when it turns to trauma, we turn off our relationship circuits in our brain. And this can happen with God, with each other, and even with things. And so it's very important we move beyond that pain, because we're all going to have it, and have the heart of Jesus. And so I did this lesson last week at the 2 p.m. I see some 2 p.m. services here, sorry. you got to hear it again, all right? But we're going to get right into the next phrase that we find on the cross, and it is... Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And to help set this up, I actually have a little video clip. I actually have two, one here in the beginning, one at the end. It's from an actual National Geographic movie called Killing Jesus. So I really recommend it. It really looks at kind of the human side of Christ. It kind of ignores a little bit some of the miraculous nature, but that's kind of a cool thing because you see how Jesus as a human had to become ultimately the sacrifice for us all. Now, there's one antagonist particularly that's singled out in the movie, uh, outside of obviously the chief priests and the Pharisees. There's this temple guard that is kind of in and out of the movie, constantly trying to go after Jesus and the disciples. At this point, Jesus has already been judged. He is now being sent off to Golgotha to be crucified. And the temple guard is just riding him along the way, accusing him of all kinds of things. Let's watch it. Oh, my God. 
Love me, Jesus. I do love you. No! I want rage from your mouth. That just grabs your heart. Do you see? He couldn't, he couldn't accept love. And the question got turned around. What are you afraid of? What are we afraid of? To truly love. We'll get to see what happens as we go forward, but this leads to our next phrase on the cross, found in Luke 23, actually, verse 32. It says, Two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Truly, this has to be one of the more amazing phrases from Jesus. You know, chronologically, this was said before we hear the great Lama Sabakathani, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know this because if you jump to verse 44, a little bit after this in Luke, it says it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three. That is when Jesus said, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? So he had the heart to forgive even way before that moment. From the start of his crucifixion, Jesus still had love in his heart. But there's something really interesting here. What helped Jesus to love like this? Now I want to break up this phrase, and so we're going to do a little Greek this morning. You guys ready to do some Greek? Yeah. It's always good to get to the original language, right? Uh, but I have to give you a little bit of background about Greek verbs, particularly tenses. There are several more tenses in Greek than we have in English. We actually have them in terms of the way we phrase things, but we don't separate them out. We have past, present, future. Well, there's additional tenses, particularly with the past, when it comes to Greek. So let me uh, go ahead and explain it real briefly, because it's going to be really powerful as we look at this phrase on the cross. The first one is the aorist. Okay? This is a past tense verb, aorist, that means an action in the past that's completed. Not to be repeated, not to occur again. It happened, it's over. Okay? That's a good thing. Next one. Perfect. This denotes an action completed in the past, but time and effect continue into the future. So though it ended, there's an influence, a circumstance, a consequence that still continues going forward. It's not over, even though the action is over. And then there's imperfect. This denotes something in the past that continued, repeated, or it was attempted more than once, but at some point ended, we just don't know when, before the present. Okay, so that's just a little bit of background of verbs. So now let's break down that phrase in the Greek. So here you go. We can see there at the top is pater, which is father. We know it's a noun, we know it's singular. So he's obviously addressing his father in heaven. But then there's this interesting thing, afes, which means to forgive. But the tense, first of all, is second singular. First singular is I. Second singular is you individually. Okay? If it's, if it's second singular plural, it's you all. Okay? But this is singular. It's second singular, aorist, active, and imperative. It's an actual command. An imperative means do, go, stop. Now, in English, when we say an imperative, it usually demands in the moment, right? Presently. 
He's saying to God, past command. Forgive. In the past, done. What? He's saying before this ever even happened, I want in your mind, God, you've already forgiven and it's over no matter what comes after. Whoa! That's crazy. And then he says, them, the pronoun. And then this is where Greek is interesting. You have to switch things around sometimes. It's not the same word order. It's actually going, not for, but you'd say, for. They do not know. And you go, well, where's the they? Well, in Greek verbs, you find the pronoun or the, the person in the ending of the verb. So this oedasin is actually a third plural. So we know it's them. Okay? They do not know. Third plural, perfect active. So what it means is something in the past that they didn't know is continuing to affect them now. You didn't know I was the Son of God. And because you didn't know that, it's still affecting you now that you don't know it. That's why God goes, Jesus goes, forgive, past because it started with them not knowing. And it's still affecting them today. Whoa. In fact, so much so, we get to the last for it, for they do not know what they are doing. Third plural, them, present. Because I am asking God, forgive in the past, because in the past they didn't know, and as a result of not knowing, they're killing me now. Wow. Can we forgive that way? Where even during the offense, we forgive before the offense. That's what he just did. But there's another interesting thing. Who is actually being directly offended right now? Jesus. Shouldn't it be, I forgive you? But he doesn't do that. He goes, Father, forgive them. See, I think he understood something we don't always understand. Our sin doesn't just offend the person that we offend. It offends God. And ultimately, that's where forgiveness needs to come. But I also think it shows that like Jesus, who was human, who was suffering, who was being offended, understood, I don't have the capacity alone to forgive this offense. I need to participate in your forgiveness. I need your heart, God, to forgive. I think that's why a lot of us at times hold grudges and don't forgive is because we're not participating in God's forgiveness for people. I love what Mark Templer states in his book. Here's a quote from it. Jesus was able to give his enemies the benefit of the doubt, which helped him to forgive them. We like to assume the best about ourselves. The golden rule of Matthew 7.12 would encourage us to do the same about others. So much of relational conflict originates in our unwillingness to assume the best about others. We don't know the facts, and when we hear something potentially negative, we believe it, instead of assuming the best about the other person. And a barrier is erected in our hearts. Jesus does know what's in their hearts, and yet He still forgives. This is challenging, guys. Our lack of forgiveness is what makes us most unlike Jesus. 
How forgiven do you want to be? Who wants to be forgiven? 10%. Do I get a 40? 60? 85? 99.9? Who wants 100%? Okay, keep that in mind. You all raised your hand. You just confessed before me. You want 100% forgiveness. Look at this passage in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. What does that imply? We're going to have to. Right? If this commanding is bear, that means you're going to irritate one another now and then. But you've got you to grit through it. You've got to bear with one another. And forgiving one another... If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, who wants 100% from the Lord? So you also are to forgive. He says in other passages, you'll be judged as you judge. If you don't forgive, I will not forgive. We got to really chew on that for a minute. If you want 100% forgiveness, you must give 100% forgiveness. I love this quote from one of the books I had to read. It says, One of the most complicated aspects of discipleship is to learn how to become a forgiver. Practicing forgiveness and reconciliation bring a disciple face-to-face with their wrongdoings as well as their hurts and wounds born from others' actions, emotional as well as physical. How disciples respond as both sinner and sinned against determines to a large extent the quality of their lives as well as the testimony it bears. When you don't forgive, it affects your relationship with God. Look at these two passages. Often we take these individually, but I think we actually need to have them together. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Okay, so you're at the altar, you're praising God, you're doing great with God, and then you go, oh, wait a minute, someone has something against me. Wait a minute. Why is it something they did affect your walk with God? That doesn't make sense. They offended me. They need to go, go to God and get that worked out. I'm good. But yet here he says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, then come offer your gift. What? Come on, there's a problem. Why would God expect me to stop my walk with God because someone else offended me? I'm not doing anything to hinder my walk with God, right? Or are you? Look at this next one. This is the one that gets a little funky. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, so if we stop right there, the first inclination would be, oh, we realize we've offended someone. Right? And if you've offended someone, you need to go to them and say, forgive me, right? But here it says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone... Forgive him. What? Wait a minute. I thought I'm the one who has something against them. 
if I'm the one who offended, don't I ask forgiveness? Forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you of your wrongdoing. Well, wait a minute, who's the offender here? Unless they are the offender, but because you didn't forgive, now you're an offender before God. You're in wrongdoing. But they're the one who originally sinned! So you're going to add to that sin by not forgiving? This is about you and God. You said it. They, they shouldn't affect your walk with God. Well, it does when you don't forgive. Wow, this, this passage is like, boom, what? So here we get a clearer picture of what God is expecting of us. Now, I know the next question that comes. Okay, 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 I'll do it. I'll forgive. But how many times? That's the question that comes to our mind, right? Come on, you know it's true. I mean, they keep sinning against me. Well, guess what? You're not the first one to have that question. We have a little great story. I'll just jump to the, the conclusion in it. But in Matthew 18, 21, Peter comes to Jesus. And, and just so you understand, the Jewish tradition, the, the Talmud, actually says you've got to forgive at least three times. Okay? So that's the Jewish tradition. At least three times. After that, it's over. Three strikes, you're out. I guess they played baseball back then. I don't know. Okay? So Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And of course he's going, well, I don't want to be like the Pharisees. They only do it three. Uh, up to seven times? In other words, he doubled the Pharisees and added one on for good measure. So I'm doing good. I'm better than them. Uh, seven times, right, Lord? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or other texts say seven times 70. But then, of course, people go, wait a minute, the Scriptures are unclear. Oh, get over it. So it's ambiguous on the numbers. Either way, it means a lot. Okay? It's not a salvation issue except you not forgiving. That's the issue. But let's take them literal for a minute. Let's just do it, okay? Let's take it literally. So if I'm a Jew... My rule is three times a day. So that's once every eight hours. So for seven hours and 59 minutes, I can hold a grudge. <laughs> if I'm Peter, I'm getting a little better. It's seven times a day, once about every three and a half hours. But if we take the 77 times a day, that means over three times an hour. But if we go the 70, 7 times 70, which is 490 times, into the four, 1,440 minutes in a day, if we did just the waking hours, it'd be even worse. <laughs> Once every three minutes. Hmm. Anyone here sin? Probably every three minutes at some point, whether you know it or not. Who would like the 70 times 7? Who would like that? Yeah, I think we all want at least every three minutes. So two minutes and 59 seconds. Lord, please, I hope I don't die. Oh, good, he forgave. <laughs> Regardless of the actual number Jesus intended, it's forgive and keep on forgiving. That's what he's saying. Are you? As you forgive, you'll be forgiven. This is challenging. But what is forgiveness, really? I like this quote. It says, True forgiveness is more than a high ideal. It is a costly, heart-rending process that refuses to ignore 
or minimize wrongdoing. It places blame. It condemns the wrong. But it also gives the wrongdoer a gift. Forgiveness separates wrongdoers from the wrong by refusing to label them as all bad. Isn't that what we all want? Don't you hate it when you have this relationship with someone and you blow it. You, you did sin. You offended them. It was wrong. But now they judge you off that one and ignore the hundreds of others where you didn't. See, they've labeled you. You're all bad. That one, that's it. You're out. Then we're, none of us are going to make it to heaven if that's the standard of forgiveness. Jesus on the cross, being offended, being murdered, could separate the wrongdoer from the wrong and go, yeah, this is bad, but they're not all bad. There's hope for them yet. Father, forgive. Past tense. Done. For they do not know what they are doing. Is that our heart with each other? Or do we just put people in a box? It's crazy because we all know we don't want to be put in a box. And yet, we're hypocrites because we often put others in there. Now, before I conclude, there are some important things about forgiveness that we also need to learn. First of all, extending forgiveness is not dependent on admission of guilt or wrongdoing. Did you recall any of the uh, Roman guards go, Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. Did you see any of the Pharisees go, Hey, uh, we were wrong. None! There was no admission of guilt or wrongdoing, and they're murdering Him. But Jesus didn't wait on that to forgive. If you're waiting for admission of wrong before you forgive, you are not like Jesus. Now, would their admission of wrong help you forgive? Sure. So you be the one when you wrong someone, admit it. Help them out. But forgiveness is not relying on it. The next thing, forgiveness, uh-oh, we're going to kill a myth here, is not forgetting. What? I've always heard, you forgive and forget. Really? Can you actually forget the wrong? Really? Forgetting. God can't forgive, forget sins in a sense that He loses His memory. I do recall that there's a great book that all our doings, good and bad, are written down. He hasn't forgotten a thing. What He means when you hear that phrase, forget, you still know it's an offense. You still know it's wrong and it still costs you pain. But you choose to forgive like God and say, I am not going to hold it against you ever again. I won't forgive and then at the right moment bring it back out and hold it against you and hold you captive because you sinned before. Then you didn't forgive. How many of us have sinned against the Lord? How many of you have been forgiven of those offenses? You can keep your hand up. Would you like Him to bring those back out? We'd be in trouble. Are we? Are we holding past sins against people? Then we're not like Jesus. Forgiveness is not condoning or perpetuating injustice. Hey, we can forgive any offense, but that doesn't mean we need to stay in that relationship or stay in that situation where injustice continues. 
right? Your spouse hurts you, abuses you consistently with no repentance. You need to forgive for your heart, not for them. Forgiveness really is more for you than them. But you don't need to stay in that traumatic and painful and unrelenting situation either. That's not what forgiveness means. But we want to make sure our heart is right before God. And forgiveness does not always involve reconciliation. Either because it's dangerous or it's impossible. If the one that you need to reconcile is no longer in this country, you might find it a little harder if they've already passed away. You may not be able to reconcile. But forgiveness is not dependent on it. But it is a goal of it. For we are supposed to be ministers of reconciliation. But sometimes you may not get it. But you still forgive because it's your heart that is at at stake here. Amen? And this one is also important. Forgiveness is not always quick. See, when we as an offender finally admit our guilt, man, we don't want that shame any longer. We don't want that pain any longer. We don't want to hurt the person we care about any longer. So we're just like, yes, please forgive me. But for that person, it may be the first time they realize you offended them. You got to give them space. You don't determine when and how they forgive. They determine it. You don't have the right as the offender. And you're going to learn this in relationships. Everyone has a different time clock when it comes to repentance and forgiveness. Now, as they stand before God at some point, they do need to forgive for their sake. But it's important to know, guys, forgiveness is not always quick. It may take a little while. So what about Jesus? What about this temple guard? He said, no, Jesus, when you get on that cross, when you feel the ultimate separation, denial and abandonment and pain, you will curse. There will be hate from your mouth. Well, let's see what happened. Show the next clip. Hopefully it will continue. Get stuck. It just stopped there. I'll act it out. Basically what happens after this scene is the temple guard comes and approaches the centurion and says, He said something! What did he say? He cursed you, didn't he? He said, no. He asked us God to forgive us. And the temple guard was just dumbfounded. And he walked away. Guys, you don't realize the most powerful tool we have in being a light of God's kingdom is our willingness to forgive. We all have a story of being forgiven, which means we should all have a story of forgiving. Because as the Lord forgave... So we should forgive. I close with this quote. It's so crucial 
to see our forgiving not simply as our own act, but as participation in God's forgiving. Our forgiving is faulty. God's forgiving is faultless. Our forgiving is provisional. God's is final. The only way we dare forgive is by making our forgiving transparent to God's and always open to revision. After all, our forgiveness is only possible as an echo of God's. Amen.